Well, good morning, church family. Uh, before we get into this, I just want to say thank you to each one of you. Um, I was able to meet with Kayla's family this week as uh, her mom passed away, and her sister Patty just expressed such gratitude to this church for the way that you reached out to Jean Ann just through uh, taking her places, through uh, checking in on her, through praying for her, through, through everything that was done. And I, I just want to say it brought such honor to me to be able to be affiliated with you in that way, to know that uh, the way that Paul says it in 1 Timothy, I just want to read this because this is just how I felt. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, he said, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I just felt like that is what uh, just embodied this body as I was hearing that. And so I just want to say thank you for being the hands and feet of Jesus. And then also Paul ends up telling the church in Thessalonica, don't give up. Excel still the more. You know, you, w the work that you're doing, the labor of love, it is being received. It is being evident to people. It is furthering the kingdom of heaven. And so I want to encourage you, keep on fighting the good fight of faith. And so if you'll just join me, I want to uh, just open up this past or this message and a word of prayer, but also I just want to pray over all of you uh, that God continue to work through you and that your hearts be moldable to him. So Father God, we just come before you. And God, first off, we thank you for Jean Ann, uh, for where she is right now. Um, thank you just that she has received the victory. Uh, we pray that you be with her family. Uh, just continue to give them the comfort. And God, I just thank you for this church body, uh, maybe small in size, maybe in the middle of nowhere, but God, you're doing a work through your people here. And I just pray that we continue to open our hearts up to you, that we continue to be your hands and feet. And God, it is tiring work, but God, you will give us the energy. And so God, I pray that you fill everybody's cup here that they be encouraged through the reading of your word today, that they be encouraged through the, the singing of praises to you, and God, that they be encouraged by being with one another and spurring one another on to love and good deeds. God, help us to excel still the more. And now as we just get ready to dive into your word, as we get ready to just see who you are, God, I pray, let it be your message that is spoken. Let us just give you the glory in everything. And so speak to us here and now. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. Uh, so I've mentioned this before. It's called the six degrees of separation from Kevin Bacon. I don't know where the Kevin Bacon comes from, but uh, it's six degrees of separation. And just a little refresher on it. It is the saying that you are six people from knowing everybody in the entire world. That you have, so like, for example, I've mentioned I have a friend who is a cousin to Ben Roethlisberger, and so it's like by knowing him, he knows Ben Roethlisberger, who met the president, who knows the president of Libya, Bulgaria, whatever the country is over there somewhere in another world, and so it's like we know everybody. Um, I have a new degree of separation as well. Sam Eddington, y'all just met that one. Real popular guy. I mean, he's going places. Eventually, he's going to be my one degree of separation from the whole world. It's going to be like, do you know Sam? <laughs> I know Sam. So no pressure, Sam. I'm 
counting on you. So, uh, but growing up in Coffeeville, uh, we had a little Juco college there, uh, Coffeeville Red Ravens, and my dad and I used to always go and work the security at the football games. And so, like, I got the little fake badge, and I had the shirt, and, you know, like, Paul Blart, you act like you have something in your pocket. You really don't have anything. Uh, and so it was really, you just were a glorified seat monitor telling people you can't sit here, sorry, do you have a ticket? No, you don't. Well, that's for unreserved seating. And so one day, uh, there was this guy that came, and I noticed him sitting off in the distance, and he sat down, and they looked like they weren't really looking for a seat, and so he just sat in a reserved seating spot. And so me taking my job seriously, I walk over to him, and I say, excuse me, sir, do you have tickets for that seat? And he said, oh, do we need them? And I was like, yeah, sorry, those are reserved. If you don't have reserved tickets, you can sit over here or over here. And so he was like, okay, cool. And so he went over there. Somebody came up to me later and they were like, hey, that's Chris Carter. Now, if you don't know who Chris Carter is from like the 1990s Minnesota Vikings, he was Chris Carter. Like they're all pro wide receiver, like Randy Moss and Chris Carter. I grew up pretending to be Chris Carter. I mean, like, this is the guy that it was like, I wanted to be Chris Carter. Whenever we would play pickup football, yeah, I'm Chris Carter because somebody always took Randy Moss and I wasn't fast. And so it was like, I was Chris Carter. So when they told me that, they were like, he has special seats. He gets to go all the way up into the box. Like, he's got VIP seating. And I was like, can I give them to him? Because, man, I want to tell this guy, like, hey, I looked up to you. And so they were like, yeah, go for it. And so I took his seats. And then as I'm realizing I'm going to Chris Carter, the guy that I looked up to playing football growing up, my knees got weak. And it, my palms got sweaty and everything like that. And it was just like, I just kicked this guy out of his seat. And he's somebody. Like, he's not just some college kid. He is like an all-pro millionaire. And so I went up to him, and I just like shakily gave him, here's your seats. And then I was like, uh, I looked up to you. And then I turned and ran away. And it was just like the most awkward experience. I don't know if he remembers it to this day of the weirdest security guard he ever met. I'd probably get that title. But it was weird because like knowing who he was just kind of like changed how I addressed him. Like really, I had no problem kicking him out of his seat. But then when I found out, man, this is somebody special. He's important. Like, this is Chris Carter. I suddenly was like, I don't even know how to talk to this guy. And that's kind of how our passage leads us in into our text today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. And so this is where Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray because they're like, we don't know really how to pray. Like, Jesus, you go off and you have these prayers. Can you teach us how to pray? Because, like, honestly, this is God. Like, not just Chris Carter. This is the creator of the entire universe. This is God who made everything. And you're telling me that little old Andy Peterman is to come up to him? I don't know what to say. Like, I don't know the right ways to say it. Like, so often we get into the King James prayers, like, Oh, Father, thou art holy. Like, thou, 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 these, these. That's the right way to pray. We hit, like, just these random ways of saying it. And it's like, do we know how to pray? And Jesus is going to teach us in this new series, teach us to pray through the Lord's Prayer, how it is that we are to pray. And in today's message, the biggest thing that I hope you realize is that you are loved by God, but also that you have direct access to God. 
I mean, that you can go to him and just open up your heart to God and we see who he is. Not that we're going to a genie in a bottle. Not that we're going to some superstition. Not that we're praying to some wooden figurine or whatever it is. We are going to the God who created everything, the entire universe, and he loves you. That's, that's my agenda today, is that you see who God is. Because he's going to tell us, this is how you can address me. And first off, in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6, he tells us this is how not to pray. If you're wondering, hey, how do I pray? This is what not to do. He says, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. They get seen. I mean, it's like the, the Pharisee and the poor tax collector where there's Pharisee standing on the side of the corner in the temple. And he's just like, Father God, I thank you that I'm not like this poor peasant over here. He's a sinner. He's vile. But God, look at me. And it's like everybody's looking at you. And that's pretty much the only reward you're going to get. So don't, don't pray like that. Then he says, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret, he'll reward you. And also when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't just drag it out. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So don't just use vain, empty repetition. We were praying the other night before dinner, and my mind just ran, and it was like, man, I said a lot of words that I have no idea what just came out of my mouth. And Jesus is like, don't be like that. But instead, he says, this is how you pray. If you'll stand as we read Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 13, the Lord's Prayer. He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then some versions say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. And so we're just going to kind of break this passage down. And so today we're looking at how we can approach God. In those first verses, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so I believe that from that, what we're going to see is that we can approach God as the Father, we can approach God as the ruler, but ultimately we approach God with a reverence. And you see throughout history, there's been, been this struggle for balance that I've seen. I mean, right now we're going through it uh, with grace and truth. You know, there's a whole lot of, hey, it's all about grace. It's grace, 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 which means Romans chapter 6, people take it advantage. So because we have all this grace, I can do whatever I want. I can keep on sinning. And Paul says, by no means. And so what we do to counter grace is we go heavy on truth. And it's like, oh, you're going to hell if you do that. That's going to send you to hell. And we become very judgmental. And you got to find that balance. And the same thing I would say is there with prayer, with how we approach God. Because in the Old Testament times, it was very reverent. I mean, they didn't even say God's name. It was that name which we do not mention because it is so holy. We're not, we're not going to say that. 
and they got in the habit of making it more ritualistic to keep that reverence. Because as we all know, the further away from tradition and ritual you go, the kind of more charismatic and crazy it seems to get. And it seems like you become unreverent. So much so that today you have t-shirts where you can walk around and see somebody wearing a shirt, Jesus is my homeboy. Like, you know, Jesus is my co-pilot. He should be driving the whole ship. Like, you're not driving anything. And so we lose this reverence, and, and we get to this point where it's like, well, you can address God however. And so we, we get to this even more crazy approach. And during Jesus' time, as he's preaching this and sharing this, they're extremely reverent. And so Jesus' opening words of this prayer are revolutionary to them. Because they always addressed God as Father. It, it wasn't an uncommon thing, but the way that he addressed him as Father. Because it was almost like God is that distant Father, that, that far away, not really going to be involved in my life Father. But Jesus is saying, no, he is the good Father. The parable of the uh, prodigal son shows us he is the loving Father. The Father that wants to be in relationship with you. And I understand Fathers have done a terrible job of representing who God is as Father in our culture today. I looked up some stats and like the just absent father fleeing the home, not being present is at a growing rate. And so like men, I think it is super important that you display who God is as a father. Because whenever we see passages like this, our father, it's like, yeah, but my dad, he was horrible, not you. But he was just like this bad guy. He was abusive. He was distant. He was neglecting. He was just harsh. I can't see God as father. Whereas the Bible tells us that he is the good father. So whatever you think a father is, God is the good father. I mean, we're told, and we're going to go through these fairly quick, but here are 21 characteristics of God as the Father. 21 verses about it. First off, God is loving. You might want to get a pin out because we're going to go through these pretty quick. 1 John 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. We are called children of God because God loves us. For God so loved the world, John 3, 16. God is kind, Ephesians 2, 7 through 8, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of of God. He is kind. He is compassionate. Psalm 103 verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious. He's slow to anger. I mean, as we were singing uh, East, East and West, whatever the name of that song is, as far as the East is from the West, there I never really caught the words of it that it's like, man, I'm worried about which sin is going to kick me out of God's grace. And we're told in Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. John 3, 16, he's giving. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. Romans 8, 32 tells us he did not spare his own son. So how is he going to hold anything else from us? 
So often we get to thinking, well, God's not going to give me what's good. And it's like God didn't even hold back his own son. Do you think that if somebody was willing to sacrifice their only son, that they would be like, but I'm drawing the line on that? No. God is giving. God is faithful. Lamentations 3.23. God is faithful even in the darkest times as Israel is in exile and Jeremiah is witnessing his family, his friends, his neighbors be slaughtered, raped, be just totally tortured. He is able to say in the middle of that, they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Not just when everything's going my way, but God, you are faithful even in the darkest times. God is merciful. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. I mean, when we were dead in our trespasses, he should have just said, hey, send them all to hell. But instead he said, no. I'm going to show them mercy. I'm not going to give them what they deserve. I'm going to give them a chance to repent. God is strong. Psalm 24, 8. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. He's not a pushover God. He's not some wussified God that is speaking with a lisp, but instead he is strong and he is mighty in battle. One of my favorites, because I need it every day, he is forgiving. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is good, Psalm 136, 1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. He is righteous, Psalm 145, 17. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. He cares about you. Matthew 6, 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. If he's going to take care of them, are you not more valuable than they? He is sovereign, Psalm 103, 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. He is the good shepherd, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He's ever present, Psalm 46, 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So often, whenever those troubles come, we want to say, God, where are you? It feels like you're distant. It feels like you're gone. What God's truth tells us in his word is he is there in those moments. He is our refuge, Psalm 91, 1 through 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He's gracious, Psalm 116, 5. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. He's healer, Exodus 15, 26. If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. So often we wonder, yeah, but they didn't get healed. But you see, even with Jean Ann, 
Right now, she is experiencing the healing beyond all healings, that she's no longer sick or weak. She is healed. So even when we don't see it in a worldly view, God still heals us from everything. He is powerful. First Chronicles 29, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. I mean, that makes me think, like, look who God is. He is powerful. He is sovereign. He is all these things, and he loves me, and he loves you. He cares about you. He is the Father who takes delight in his child. As Zephaniah 3.17 says, he also saves us. The Lord your God, he's in your midst. He is a mighty one who will save he rejoices over you with gladness. So often we think God is up there. Oh my goodness, I can't believe they're doing that. He rejoices over you with gladness. He quiets you by his love. He exalts over you with loud singing. He is the helper, Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then lastly, he makes all things new. Revelation 21.5, this is the hope we have. He who seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true, that someday we will shed this body of death and decay, and we will have a new, eternal, glorious body because of who God is. You see, God is the Father. So when we approach God, when we, when we pray, we can approach him as the father, as the good father, not as the father that you need to shriek back from and you're like, man, I'm, I'm really scared to have to go and ask for permission here. But instead, as we're told in scripture, he is the father who longs to be with you. The way that he said it in Jeremiah is he said, what wrong did you find in me? What did I do wrong that you would turn away from me? Because all I've ever done from creation to end to, to, to this point is I have desired and longed to be with you. I mean, you look, he made all creation. He made it all. And it's glorious. I mean, if you get my weekly articles this past one, we looked at how huge creation is. Like over a trillion light years long, big, however you want to say it, and he holds it all in the span of his hand between his pinky and his thumb. He's like, that is my universe. And we are this tiny dot. He made this massive, glorious, flaming balls in the sky that just burn up, and yet they point to him. But they were for us to see him. You see, he created man for his glory so that we could be in relationship with him, so that he could be loved by choice. He gave us the free choice to love him. So he wanted to be with us, so much so that he created us. And then we sinned. We ate the apple. If it wasn't Adam, it would have been me. Don't touch the paint. I touch the paint. Don't step on the grass. I step on the grass. I know I'm not the only one. 
But it's like if it wasn't Adam, it would have been all of us. So we sin. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. And so then God is like, I cannot be in their presence, but I long to be with my people. So he had them build the Ark of the Covenant so that his presence could be with his people. And then it was like, hey, we're wandering around, and a lot of this is because you guys are just messing things up and not listening to me. So after 40 years, finally you're going to receive the promised land. And so then he says, we're going to build me a house. Not you, David, your son Solomon. So Solomon builds a temple, a permanent dwelling place for God so that he can be among his people because he longs to be with you. And then he says, so much so I long to be with them, I'm going to send Jesus in the form of man. He's going to take on flesh so that he can dwell among them and point to who I am so that they can see the character of me, God. And I, he's going to dwell among them because he wants to be with you. Ultimately, Jesus came to give his life. Because there was the separation between man and God, and there was only one way for that to be unified, and that was through a perfect sacrifice which only Jesus could give. Not bloods, not goats, not pigeons. Jesus, perfect flesh. And so he gave his life for us so that he even said, I must go so that I can send a helper. So through the entire thing, even up to today, God is like, I want to be with you. I long to be with you. I long for you to be in my presence. I long to be in your presence. So much so, I'm going to come and live inside your heart. I'm going to dwell within you in the form of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to walk with you. God is the Father who longs to be with you. You see, uh, two weeks ago, Heather had our nephews at our house. And so I thought, I'll work from home. I'll work on my sermon, and they're three and not even one yet. And I spent 20 minutes at a time with these guys. And the three-year-old, ball of energy all day. It was like, does this kid ever stop? And Heather was like, no, because he knows if he stops, he'll take a nap. And it's like, will you please stop? And he just is running around. I'll tell you, by the end of that day, it was like, where's mom? Like, these kids, time to go. I love them, but they can go back home. So often we think that's how God is with us. That, like, wait a minute, God's probably tired of me. God, like, man, I've been coming to him a lot lately. I've been messing up a lot lately. I've been just running around a lot lately. And God's probably saying, hey, we, like, can you just go? But that's not how God is. Instead, God is like, no, come to me. Come into my presence. Come, take time to be with me because I, yes, you are doing all this. I, I just want to be with you. I just want to work in your life. God is the Father that loves you. And we're able to approach him as so. But also, I think that when we approach him as Father, we also need to have an understanding that he's not like, especially in today's age. Disrespect is a big thing. We're like, you know, there's not a lot of respect for fathers. And so at the same time, we approach God knowing he's also the ruler. Because Jesus tells us, our father, and then he says, who is in heaven? Telling us that Jesus is the ruler. God, God is in heaven on his throne. 
He's not residing in this earth. It's not like you have to go somewhere and find him in the White House or in the, in the big things that rulers live in that is escaping my palace. That's the word. You know, he's not living in palaces. He's in heaven. He says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Isaiah 41 not 41, 46, tells us, he says, you know what, I'm, I'm beyond everything else. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales, they hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship it. They saw it created before them and then they're like, oh, this is God. And God's like, you're gonna compare me to that? Like, no. That's not how it is. They lift it to their shoulders. It can't even carry itself. They carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it doesn't even answer them. But as we saw, God is the Father who hears us, responds to us, cares for us, is powerful, is above all. Like, let's not compare him to these little minimal things. God is in heaven. He is residing there. He sent the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us, but God is reigning on his throne. And it's where he's located, which to me says that he is the one in charge. He is ruler of it all. Revelation 4, uh, John goes up into heaven and he says, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here. And I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before, before the throne, there was as it were a sea of glass like crystal. Notice his posture. He's sitting. It's done. He's victorious. He's not out like fighting. It's not this little turmoil of like, oh, Satan's taking an edge. Oh, God took the edge. Oh, Satan took the lead again. No, God is up there and he's like, hey, I've already won. The victory has been won. The battle is over. I am God. Death has been defeated. Sin has de been defeated. He is the ultimate ruler. And also notice, God, I think whenever we approach God in this sense, we remind ourselves that he is ruler. It reminds us that he is ruler. That our thoughts, hopes, uh, manipulations, whatever you want to call it, do not sway him. He is not something that we put in our little box and say, all right, God, you have to fit here. But instead, he goes beyond it. We cannot sway him with the whims of our wishing, but instead he's the one in charge, and we remind ourselves of that. He is the father, but he is the ultimate ruling father. He's the ruler. So when we come to God, we are to come to him with an understanding of who he is, that he loves you as a father loves his child. Isaiah says that, man, can I even forget you? Like a mother nursing, she, she might actually forget her child. 
but there's no way that I can forget you because I have tattooed you on the palms of my hands. Like, I'm not going to forget you. He's the loving God, and he is victorious. He is the one seated on the throne, and we remind ourselves of that. That COVID might be big and scary. God's victorious. Rumors of wars, threats of wars, actual wars might be scary. God's victorious. Death might fear us. God is victorious. Like he is the ruler. So we remind ourselves, I'm not coming to a genie in a bottle. I'm coming to the one who is in charge. And it directs our thoughts from that. And it's also for this reason, because of who God is, that lastly, I believe, we approach him with definitely respect. There's that move of kind of lowering who God is, trying to put us and God like, hey, we're on the same playing field. And he says, no, like my name is holy. Not just my name, but my character. Who I am is set apart from everybody else. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, 10 commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The other day I heard a seven-year-old, I've never seen this kid before, but I heard a seven-year-old say, I don't even want to say it. He said JC as a cuss word. And it was just like, man, like seven years old, he's hearing that like, man, Jesus, he's just a word that I use as an expletive like as an exclamation of whatever it is. And it's like, no, we are to honor the name of God. We are to hold it in high respect. Again, the Jewish people went so far as to not even say it. They would not say Jehovah. They would not mention Yahweh. They avoided that. They said that name is so holy. And again, we've come a long way from that to where we're not revering God, but we're called to revere him because of who he is. I mean, I just think of how when I went to meet Chris Carter, I was shaking. I was just like, man, this guy, like, I, I don't want to mess this up. And I did severely, but it's like, I don't want to. And it's like God and Chris Carter, not even on the same playing field. God and David Robinson, God and whoever you want to put in that blank will never be on the same playing field. God is holy. He is set apart. He is above all. He's not some figment of our imagination. He is the one who is in charge, and it is the character of God. You see, he created it all. Again, Isaiah 46 asked us, who are you going to compare me to? Like, Biden? Nuclear codes could wipe out nations? No, he's not on the same playing field as me. The entire, like, greatest country in the world doesn't compare to me. Like, these little things that you worship, your dollar, your bank account, your future, whatever it is, doesn't compare to me. Who are you going to compare to me? There's none. Because I am God, and my character is that way. Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, when Moses was like, all right, you're sending me to free the Israelites from Egypt, who do I say sent me? He says, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. I mean, God is the great I am. It encompasses all of him. And it, like, just even thinking about that, it's like, okay, that's two simple words. But like when we truly grasp, he is the great I am above everything else. It should just like bring shock upon us. Like, I, I don't know how to explain it, honestly. 
but it's that incredible, so incredible. This is the best way I can explain it. John 18, three through six. Judas is leading the band, the army to come and uh, arrest Jesus. And Jesus goes up to them and says, who is it that you come? And he says, uh, verse three. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, notice the two words, I am he. Really, they added the he. All Jesus said is, I am. They, uh, Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. There's power in that right there that he is set apart. He is, Jesus was saying, who God was whenever he was at the, the flaming bush is who I am now. I am. He and I are one. He's the Alpha, Omega, the source of salvation. He's loving. He's the one true God. He is all things good, and he cares about you. Again, that's what I want you to get. Like all these things, God cares about you. So when we approach God, when we come to him and let our requests be made known to him, we know that he cares about them. As the fathers that I see as their kids are coming up to them and they are just like saying the same thing over and over and I see those fathers delighted in hearing the same thing over and over, God much more delights in hearing how his children come to him and share their hearts with him. And he is also the ruler. And I believe that when we understand all of these who we're praying to, it helps us focus our prayers. So often, I'm like starting out a prayer, and then I end off in left field. And it's like, how in the world did I get here? But it's because I'm not focusing. Who am I truly praying to? I'm praying to the God who loves me. When you realize who your father is, like, think of that. Like, if you have placed your faith in Christ, he is your father. You are a child of his. He is all-powerful, all-sovereign, all-everything that we just talked about. When you realize who your father is, you should be realizing the power that is behind you. Meaning that, like, if I knew that Dwayne the Rock Johnson was standing behind me, I wouldn't be worried about going down a back alleyway. Because it'd be like, hey, you mess with me, you got this guy. Like, come at me. When we know who Jesus is, who God is behind us, we should be able to approach whatever comes our way and be like, hey, I got this because of who is in me, because I have God residing in me. That's the thing. It's not ever found in who we are. We are weak. We are powerless. It's in whose we are. We are a child of God. And so I want to challenge you because this has kind of been what I've been doing this week as we were preparing this, is just as I'm praying this week as you go forward, whenever you pray, so often we can get caught up in driving down the road. God, thank you for this. All right, cool. Amen. Take a moment. Maybe open up with that. Our Father, my Father. Who is in heaven? God, you're, you are the Father that loves me. You are ruler of it all. Now I'm going to just come to you. Focus on who you're directing your prayers to, and it helps. Teach us to pray, Father, who is in heaven? 
hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Grow in your relationship with God through that because he cares. Again, that's the thing. He loves you. He wants to hear from you. God, we come before you. And so grateful that you are the good father. That as, as much as fathers are getting a terrible name in society today, God, you are the perfect father. And we just pray that we come to you in that sense, knowing that, man, there are seven billion people in this world, and yet you're hearing my voice. You're hearing the prayers that are not even being verbally uttered right now. We thank you for that, that you care for us. And God, so knowing that you hear us, knowing that you are the one in charge, knowing that you are all-powerful, may we just surrender everything over to you in that. God, help us live for you. Help us to just grow in our knowledge of who you are and in our relationship with you. And may you be glorified in it all. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray this.